y'all. Welcome to Common Era, a podcast presented by the Consulate Journal of Ireland in Atlanta. This podcast explores the shared ties between Ireland and the American Southeast. Michael Heffernan has always been a creator. For decades, he designed everything from medical devices to pots and pans. Today, after a near-death experience in 2019, he paints sweeping abstract landscapes inspired by his Irish childhood, and now, his life in the Southeast. In his upcoming exhibition, Wayfinding, at the Quinlan Visual Arts Center in Gainesville, Georgia, he pairs each painting with a poem. This particular poem and painting, and the short film as well, is is now part of the permanent collection of uh, Marietta Cobb Museum of Art, which is um, a great honor. So the background to this, to this poem is that um, when the war in Ukraine uh, started, I got up in the morning here and I, I, I looked out the window and the temperature, because it was very, very cold at the time, it was early March, it was frigid. But the temperature overnight went up about over 30 degrees and the, the pear trees bloomed overnight. I mean, they, were, wow. they weren't bloomed and then they just burst open. I thought to myself, wow, these things are really brave because, you know, March, anything can happen. In the background, the TV was on. And it was a report on Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the, the horror of, of all of that. Glory blooms. At the window, early dusty sky suddenly mild. Branch and twig awaken. Whip in dancing moody wind, still besieging, whistling, hissing around bashful buds, scattering, blowing wild. Revealing themselves courageously, in wind gusts, fanning, entangling through thinned, echoing timber. Bursting buds beguile, leafless elm and maple boughs stand beside relentless oak. In a world away, a nation's pride defy odds. Slava Ukraini, under siege and exile, the double eagle doubles down on hope's rising tide, doubles down to rubble humanity, devastating countrywide. Bunkered under blankets of cluster and vacuum vile, shredding innocence. At the window, vine to glow, open pith and blue slanted light, radiating clusters blow white displays of defiance, venturing the eyes of March, they chance a frigid snap. Petals scurry, white clusters rebelliously burst in a ceaseless flurry, to reveal pollinating hope in pale blue and yellow tides of brighter days, unfolding in glossy green-leaved white blooms, flittering in birdsong of glory revealed. Uniting in solidarity, dignity, and pride, allied courageously, hopeful fresh blooms rise to evoke like doves and soar to defy relentless oak. My name is Michael Heffernan. I'm originally from Dublin. Um, I'm an artist and uh, I live here in Atlanta. And I've been living um, in Atlanta in the United States. I'm in my 36th year. I'm originally, as I said, from Dublin, went to school in Dublin, went to college in Dublin. And and so I've been here a long time. Um, my family's here, and thirty years is hard to believe, really. What brought you here initially? So it's a, it's kind of a long story. I um, as a youngster, I I was always very good at, 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 at drawing and painting, and I got, I got a scholarship to the National College of Art and Design. And um, you know, I I ended up studying design, I, even though I went there as a painter after the foundation year. I I focused on design, and I was. I loved pottery and ceramics, and I was obsessed with ceramics and um, trained with Peter Brennan, who was a well-known potter in Dublin at the time of Black Rock. And, um, and that really formed my 
my early sort of interest in three-dimensional design and design. And then uh, on another scholarship to Kilkenny Design Workshops where I had I did a residency um, in Butler House in Kilkenny, which is a fabulous place to be. And um, in those days, uh, Kilkenny Design was a, was a sort of incubator centre for Irish designers and, and uh, uh, organised around international designers, European designers. And so that sort of informed my early sensibilities around the commerciality of design. And then when I graduated from the National College of Art and Design, I won a, I won a national uh, award, design award, to uh, go to grad school. And I ended up going to uh, Birmingham. Um, and I studied industrial design and engineering. And so on all of that journey, which really is a long way away from painting, led me into the whole commercial aspects of bringing uh, product innovation to the marketplace, um, which was very important in Ireland, you know, a lot of it driven by then the IDA and, and government. Um, to uh, position Ireland, you know, in the international market as in Irish products. And so I, I was in that sort of, those early days, I suppose. And ultimately, uh, you know, when I came back from England, um, I got a great job um, with TMG Group, which was an Irish-English group that owned Waterford Foundries. And um, I joined the management team. I was very young. And uh, I was the industrial designer for the firm. And... and um, that sort of job and exposure uh, gave me access to the English and European market and the American market. So I, I used to go to New York a lot as part of my job to create um, a range of porcelain, cast iron cookware for the American market, and which ultimately was launched in New York, you know, within over a three or four year period. And so that level of exposure and responsibility um, threw me in the deep end of, of uh manufacturing, of design, of industrial design, of the economics of, of, of getting a product to market and mm. packaging and all of the other things that are around designing something for a specific market, in this case, the American market. And, um, you know, that gave me a view of America, albeit through um, New York. Mm. And so I was bitten by the bug. And after about five years with Waterford Foundries, um, I ended up getting a full-time position as a lecturer at Waterford Regional. Mm. And I got lifetime tenure and then was foolish enough to jack it up and go to New York. And um, then ultimately, you know, after um, when we moved, myself, my wife and my two small children, they were, my son had just turned two, my daughter was five, um, my wife was offered a job here in Atlanta mm. and I got a job in Atlanta. So we came down to Atlanta they paid for us to come down and put us mm-hmm. up and, you know, paid our legal fees and green cards and everything. It was like a dream. Wow. And we had no idea, you know, what we were getting into. Because, I mean, in those days, no one ever talked about Atlanta or the South or anything else. And um, I kind of never looked back, really. Um, and, I've, you know, it's, I'm here half my life, so it's... it's uh, the, the Southeast in general is, is kind of in my bloodstream. Um, there's never been a year, though, when I haven't been in Ireland, with the exception of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my wife is from Wexford. My children were born in Waterford. Um, and um, I raised my family here in Atlanta, even though we lived in other parts of America. We lived in California, I lived in North Carolina, Virginia, and New York, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the... So my 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 career here in Atlanta, um, I, I ended up um, working with a, a company called C Group, which was an industrial design mm-hmm. practice here in Atlanta. 
and um, I tended to focus on um, client products around healthcare, healthcare related, because I was really interested in healthcare. My wife was in healthcare, and um, you know, it felt like it was a, a there were good products to work on because they were worthy things to do, and and then you know, through the following <laughs> decades, I have to say, um, I more or less stayed around the area of business related to healthcare, healthcare delivery, whether it was services or product. And, um, and you'd wonder like, what's any of that got to do with art and design and painting and anything else? And, you know, all of it's uh, at its core is about creativity and innovation and looking at things through that lens. And so I've been, I was very lucky to be able to work in very interesting projects and drive very interesting projects. Um, albeit in very stressful environments because it's always, you know, about raising capital and money and getting it to market and will it work and will it not work and all the treachery of um, entrepreneurialism. Um, and as risky and all of that was, it, was, it wasn't as risky as, as art, I can tell you that. But, you know, I I always had an interest in, in visual art and I retained that interest, although I didn't paint. But, I, you know, I'd always through the corner of my eye keep an eye on things. And... Uh, so, you know, that's kind of a, sh- a short version of um, how I ended up in America and, hmm. you know, the sort of things that I, I did in my career here. Well, I'm, I'm curious, what would you say was the most surprising or maybe challenging facet of moving to the South? Well, you know, it was different times. I mean, I remember when, I, when we moved to Atlanta, there was, there's a talk, there's a, a talk that, that shows population on Peachtree Street in Atlanta. I remember that the clock was like 1.3 million people. Wow. Today, it's, the metro Atlanta is almost 6 million. So you just it, based on infrastructure and traffic and growth and inbound growth alone, it's been staggering. Um, and, and of course, Ireland's footprint here in Atlanta is growing at, a, at a, an impressive uh, rate in, in, the, in the fintech market and technology uh, collaboration and, and education with Georgia Tech and so on and so forth. So the, the whole landscape has matured. Um, but it was, you know, I will tell you for the first five or six years, it was lonely, you know, it was, it it was a different culture. It was a different environment. We tended to, uh, like a lot of immigrants, we tended to go to the Irish pubs and hang out with people that sounded like us, you know, there was something in common, whether from Ireland or England, actually. Hmm. And, um, but then as we settled in and, and, uh, you know, got to know the place, um, I got more confidence and made more friends and made more friends through business and so on. You know, it, it, like anywhere else, it change, you know, you, you settle into the whole thing. Um, but I always missed Ireland, always missed Ireland. Um, uh, even more than my wife, I think. Um, I've, I've always, you know, uh, had a, a sense of um, missing home, even though Ireland has changed so much, and by and large for the better. Mm-hmm. Um and of course, I've, you know, and I've, I've other uh, friends who are immigrants from other countries. And, you know, something happens in the arc of immigration, you know, that, that um, when you leave your native home, um, you constantly think about home and you're reminded of home, you go back as often as possible. And all those things to stay close to family. And my parents have passed away now, and, you know, a lot of other family members have passed away. So things change. And I have a family here and I'm a, I'm a grandparent, I have grandchildren here. So it shifts. But the odd thing is you're in neither one camp or the other. Here I'm an immigrant. And in Ireland, I'm a, you know, returned Yank. So you're kind of in between. But in my heart and soul, I've never left Ireland, really, you know. And 
all that came to a head, of course, for me and for many other people um, during the pandemic hmm. and during isolation. And so and that, that has, you know, is a thread that is woven through my work today, you know. Mm-hmm. So up to, up to 2018, I really wasn't, I really wasn't painting at all. Um, I, I, I was sort of at the tail end of my, my working life and my career, you know. Um, and I was an avid cyclist. And before that, I was a, you know, I was a marathon runner and I was in pretty good shape. And on, um, in June 2018, I was cycling a morning cycle um, on a, a bike trail that I usually go to to work out. And I got a massive heart attack. Mm. And, um, and somebody happened, miraculously appeared and, and basically saved my life. And when I, when I got to the hospital, um, discovered that my LAD or the widow maker was 99% blocked. So not too many people get to tell that story. Wow. The, the, the trauma of that event and the, the subsequent, um, period of recovery and so on, um, was traumatic to say the least. Mm. And it made me sort of re-examine uh, what I would do with the rest of my life, you know, yeah. whatever time I had. And um, and I kind of, you know, went back to, for no, no reason other than that, started, you know, fooling around with some painting mm-hmm. at home. And, um, and I kind of, you know, I'm the sort of person that if I'm, I'm going to do something, I'm all in. And, and so I got into it, and, you know, threw myself into it as a form of therapy, really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that, that's through 2019. And then, the, you know, the pandemic arrived. And I had to be super careful because of, I couldn't get it because of, of inflammation mm-hmm. to the heart and so on and so forth. And so I was, in, I, I was self-isolated. Fortunately, um, I had gotten a studio at this point. So I had a studio that I could go to at the Arson Resource Center, which is a an old factory, which has got private studios for 35 artists, and I'm one of them. So I had this great space I could go to that was isolated in itself. Hmm. And painting is a very isolating activity anyway. So now I'm immersed in all of this, but I'm in my own head. And like like a lot of people during that period of wondering what the hell is going on, people, you know, you think about over a million people died, daggering. Um, but also during that period, um, you know, referring to, you know, 2020 and that whole year, um, a, a lot of things came to a head, you know, social unrest, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, the police being challenged because of the way they were um, dealing with people, um, and, and so on. And then, you know, the backdrop of the pandemic and denial about science, the, um, the politicization of wearing masks and the polarization of politics, all those things came to a crescendo or even heightened more during the pandemic. And so wayfinding really is, which I named towards the end of all this, is really um, one person's uh, view of of the world from my studio, from isolation. And then, um, you know, digging deep into self-understanding, uh, reliant upon early memory as a source of solace in a period of isolation and loneliness. Um, a lot of people, I'm not uh, me among them, 
went through low levels of depression because, you know, we couldn't travel, we couldn't see family, we couldn't, you know, all those things. And, and I think people are still, you know, suffering from the residue of all that. Absolutely. And so the, the wayfinding body of work is a body of work that was created during these pandemic years by and large, although I'm still working on it, is a, an exhibition of almost 30 paintings, some of them very large, um, that explore the um, relationship, our relationship to nature and, and our inner landscaper and, and understanding our, our own authenticity in the world and understanding imagination and where imagination might live. And we're all born with imagination if we sit in the quiet and listen to our imagination and find ways to express it. As, as, a, as a form of, of strength. Um, so the, the, the overarching sort of theme of the exhibition touches on, you know, those, those topics. And so I had to figure, I, I'd never written poetry in my life until um, my birthday in June of 2020. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning with this unbelievably vivid, a childhood memory of being in the farm, my parents, my mother's farm, um, in County Tipperary, and the de- the, it was so detailed that I got up and wrote it down, and like two or three hours later, I, I had all these notes. And that sort of developed into a poem for some reason. It was a long poem, it was about 2,000 words. And um, I'm still polishing it, really, but it, it, it um, for some strange reason, it came very naturally. And so I, 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 have, a, I have a friend who is a former business partner, a psychiatrist, and he told me that you know, following trauma, the brain's response to trauma is to open up new pathways and it opens up new new ways of, of creativity, particularly as a, as a coping mechanism. So whilst painting was a natural form of expression for me, even though I hadn't done it for nearly 50 years, wow. um, uh, writing was not. Hmm. And then, um, so I'd go, to, I'd go to the coffee shop, you know, and I'd sit outside and I'd, I'd make notes and I'd, write down memories and, and just started writing a poetry. Now I'd never call myself a poet because, you know, um, for, for obvious reasons, especially coming from Ireland, that's a weighty, um, <laughs> I, I, I would, that would never happen. I do write poetry and now, but you know, writing poetry drives the painting. Mm-hmm. So these ideas, they're seedlings for, for, for painting, especially abstract expressionist painting are indeed, um, abstract landscape painting. And so the, the subtitle of Wayfinding, the exhibition, is the, the synthesis of visual and poetic language. Hmm. Because painting is nothing more than a form of language. Hmm. You know, a brushstroke and mark making is nothing more than a form of language. The way we express ourselves writing, particularly handwriting, is nothing more than mark making. And so if you think about the integration of those things in, in a visual form, extraordinary things happen. And that was my own experience, my own discovery. And so I leaned upon uh, these early memories initially to um, create this body of work. And then it, 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 it changed um, in the, uh, toward the end. And I'm still working on this into other forms of, of writing around, uh, around feelings and around uh, imagination and so on and so forth, just for my own self-discovery and then as a form of a conceptual development that are expressed in these paintings. Would you say that each painting represents a specific landscape that you have in your head at the time or perhaps that you go visit or is it more of a amalgamation of, of different landscape? I th- well, it's a, it's a mix of, of, it's a mix of things. So basically 
I'll read you a poem and give you an idea. That'd be lovely. Uh, there, there, there's one poem here that is from an early memory of being on the farm in, in outside of Ross Gray in County Tipperary, um, in the rolling hills and the um, the distant mountains and the the Devil's Bit Mountain, which you can see in the distance. And um, I have a very, very good uh, visual memory of a bit of an eidetic memory. I, I can't remember numbers and words and so on, but I can remember it visually. When I paint, I don't really look at anything. I can rely on my memory. Wow. That doesn't mean to say I don't go sketching and I don't go taking photographs and so on. So typically I, I don't look at photographs and so on when I'm painting. And um, so I'm going to read you this poem just to give you an idea the, the the importance of memory for me and how I express these things in the form of paintings, in a series of paintings around these subjects. This poem is called The Baronies of Ecarine. Ritualistic coffee beneath southern sun-bathed crepe myrtle, writing, sketching, lie love it in my ears, lime-washed, distempered, aged memory seeping in daily disruption of morning decorum, Saturday unfolding in an eidetic drift. Gravelly boreen, iron gates bookend, upper field fell from the brow, stopped by a scraggy grass lane, its slope broke by a tall, rocky canuckon. Skating to its mossy pallid nave, crowned by buttercups, red clover and mixed scotch, dragonflies circled, foxgloves, hip-high, swaying, pushing out of the scree. From above, lyrical contours bounded, then unbounded, bounded again and again, possessed by druids, chieftains, marked by Vikings, Normans, Huguenots, Palatines, Anglo-Saxons. Gazing the baronies of Ecarine, interlaced headlands laid bare at the altar of Devil's Bit, smoothened by sleeve bloom, blue-green swallowed in a long sky of hung, distant, narrow rain. Calling of ancestral lands in a muslin of turf smoke and fresh-cut hay transcend exile. Silence, bar the distant curlew, my eyes drank to excess in the wandering summer breeze, barely enough for a lifetime. Still nourishing, rekindling the changing light of my youth as the nave of my soul is revealed, discovered through daily oil. That was lovely. So that sometimes I think I'm st- I, I'm I'm still painting that landscape. I'm still delving into that sort of reservoir of memory of of great people and and landscape and the smells of turf fires and soda bread and you know fresh cut hay and the distant sound of the curlew the the quiet of the countryside and of course myself and my own family we lived in in South Kilkenny and we lived in an old forge and a bucolic area you know, only three miles from Waterford. And so we live in these gorgeous places, um, which are so different from how and where we live today. I live in the city of Atlanta, so it's a, it's a different vibe completely. And I, of course, I write poetry about uh, current events. So these poems were a sort of starting point of trying to uh, find solid ground in a period of time when there wasn't any solid ground. Of course, being a Dubliner, I grew up in Rialto, which is the, on the, the fringe of the Liberties. And so I spent most of my childhood around the Liberties, only 15 miles from Guinness's, which would account for my taste. And uh, a friend of mine uh, went back about a year ago um, to Dublin to visit. Um, and he, he grew up there when he was small. And, and um, you know, all his family are gone because of passage of time and so on and so forth. And he called me. Um, in driving rain, crossing the from a cell phone on on the Hapney Bridge, and uh, which crosses the Liffey's, you know, and um, he he was he, he seemed 
sat and down, trodden. So I hung the phone up and I wrote this poem for him. It's a Dublin type poem, I guess. And it's called Tomorrow's Tide. In a fortnight you ramble wide, cobblestone memories rim the pale. Tremorous edges of your soul crossing the halfpenny bridge, your broken heart elevated, rejuvenated, home from abroad. Caution flung over memory's rail, to be caught again in tomorrow's tide. Gather and hold as you can. Don't hide. Unearth deep feelings. Let the heart soak beneath Dublin's sky. Corner the snug, sink slow pints to sustain. Let feelings run out to sea. As the liffy swells, and hear the daily Angelus bells ring out to ring again in tomorrow's tide. The liffy's drenched arch ties old and new through slanted rain. Between drops of memory savored, each gulp and flavored moment kept. The belonging heart brimmed with fond memories, flittering over distant, never forgotten requiem bells, to rise again in tomorrow's tide. So there you go. Back to painting memories. These notes of you know, there's this color in not only in the language but in in in, uh, in the in the description of these places. Mm. So I'm you know I'm thinking about the painting. I'm thinking about what the next painting might be. I build all my own canvases and I build all my own stretchers, and so I build everything from the ground up. So I'm thinking about size and scale and mm. you know what this might be. So it all starts really from writing. Oddly enough. Huh. And so, yeah, it's I'm I'm blessed to be able to do this, you know, and go to the studio every day. I wrote down a quote I pulled from the video uh, that you had on your website um, mm-hmm. about wayfinding, and you said, "If I'm going to paint a particular landscape, I could paint it exactly as it looks, mm-hmm. but that to me is boring. I'd rather take that particular landscape and take the light that creates that, and the weather that's formed it, and the changes that occur while I'm there." What brought you to that conclusion? Because you know, I think there are tons of painters who are way better painters than I am, who have spent their lives painting.、Mm-hmm. I'm only painting, you know, four or five years here. But what draws me to to painting and this whole combined art form really is exploring the intangible things,、mm-hmm. the emotional things.、Um, you know, you can you can technically take out a color wheel and craft. A painting, or even paint in plain air,、mm-hmm. and and paint, you know, as painters do brilliantly, you know, an expression of the scene before them. I'm interested in, as as you said in that quote there, and the things that that are happening at, the, at that place and on the day and the feel of the day.、Mm-hmm. Is it windy? Is it cloudy? Is it going to rain? Is it, you know, because it changes quickly too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. You know, it's again back to this whole notion of exploring imagination, and I think that、um, the way I like to paint, and I use a lot of texture and color and so on, is that I think the viewer、um, will form their own view of what this scene looks like.、Mm-hmm. I just give them enough to to、uh, almost to you know visually participate, or, or you know people see things in different ways, and so I think it's a lot more interesting, and it's more interesting for me to paint. And you know, like, and and here's the similarity in writing and painting. In writing, poetry, if done well, and I I I don't think I do it well yet,、um, is that it's what's said between the lines,、mm-hmm. and it's also the economy of language and the choice of words.、Mm-hmm. And I love language, and even if you know when you write a few words in a page, you have to find who their friends are so they bring other words along that they they live well together and they express、mm-hmm. it the way you want to do it and so on.
in painting, um, you know, you apply layers of paint and you, you take away layers of paint and you edit. And the painting reveals itself. You don't always know what's going to happen. The painting reveals itself. The trick is you got to know when you're finished. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the same with the poem, you know. How, how do you know? Because you, know, you, you can keep polishing these things to the end of the earth. And, you know, and so, again, it's a feeling of knowing you're done. And um, so the, the, you know, the similarities in both these endeavors are, they overlap for me in a perfect way. So back to the, your question about the quote, I, that's what I meant, hmm. is that um, often less is more. And, you know, like most artists, I'm trying to get to less is more. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And it, it requires great confidence and skill and so on. Hmm. And, um, but it's, a, it's an ongoing uh, uh, journey. I I love how you have so much movement and energy in your paintings. It certainly seems like something that you're painting while you are present, at least in some of these locations. Is that, do you paint in, in I, the location I've, sometimes? Or? I, I do sometimes. I don't do it very often. Okay. Because um, it's a whole other, um, I'm a studio painter, really. Mm-hmm. And I go and sketch and take photographs and I'll, I've done plein air painting and I'm going to do some, I'm going to Charleston actually um, next month to do some um, low country uh, plein air painting. Um, and then that will form the basis, I'm sure, with some poetry, you know, for a series of work. But essentially, I like working on large scale. Hmm. You know, um, some of these paintings are six and seven feet, you know, and so it's it presents a challenge, especially in working in oil painting at that at that scale. Yeah, it's a combination of things. Really, the, the exhibition I've just finished at Marietta Cobb Museum of Art was a phenomenal experience. I'd never shared poetry with anybody, wow, um, other than my poor wife, up until January seventh. <laughs> so it, you know, it took some courage um, to mount this exhibition and took enormous faith from the, the curator of the museum, Madeline Beck and the executive director, Sally McCauley, to uh, say a year and a half prior, hey, it, it, the museum is yours, off you go. Wow. And so um, it gave me great focus and it gave me uh, um, somebody who's, you know, goal-driven, a, a goal to drive for in creating this body of work for that opening on January 7th. And um, it was a phenomenal experience because you, you know you're going to show up. You don't know if anyone's going to come. Sure. <laughs> but um, but it was it, yeah, it was fantastic, and and it was um, very well received and a great experience. Now, seeing that you've worked both in the Irish art space and then also here in the southeast, what would you say some of the major differences, or maybe some benefit to one or the other? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a long time since I worked in the Irish art scene, okay. you know. I mean, it's a lifetime ago. Mm. Um, although I did have some work at Saul Art Gallery in Dublin, but it was right in the middle of the pandemic and they oh. were closed, you know. Um, I think in the in the Atlanta art market, if I, I can talk about that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can't talk about the whole Southeast, but sure. it's probably too far off. But certainly the Atlanta art market is very much driven and galleries are very much driven by what interior designers want. So a lot of painters paint for interior designers because it matches the decor. Mm -hmm. I don't do any of that. And the the majority of galleries to survive economically 
cater to that audience. There are fine, a few fine art galleries in Atlanta that um, cater more to art collectors and investment art. Um, but they're, they're few and far between. Um, and I, th- I think the, the, the little I know of, of the Irish art market, particularly in Dublin, there are some great galleries in Dublin around a long time that are, are fine art galleries that, that cater to collectors and serious art collectors. Mm-hmm. And the heritage of the arts in Ireland is next to none. You know, the depth uh, is incredible. And, mm-hmm. you know, I went to the National College of Art and Design in, I was, my class was the last class um, in Kildare Street. Those, in those days, um, the College of Art was housed between the National Library mm. and, and the Dáil, the Parliament Building, yeah. which was kind of weird, you know, um, great experience. Mm. And so the, the, our teachers and our, my peers who were there during that period are some of the very famous Irish mm. artists and designers. And um, it was a great, it was a phenomenal education and it stayed with me since. Do you have any advice for for Irish artists, whether it's in the visual arts or, or writing or other? I listen. I would not. I would have a <laughs> word of advice for any Irish artist. <laughs> Nor would they. They'd be foolish people to listen. To me. Uh, I, I think you know. I think for young uh, artists who are in college wondering how to make a career of art, I'm sure it's different today. Hmm. It's always a challenge because you have to make a living. Hmm. A lot of artists, you know, teach, of course. Um, I think the, 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 the most important thing is to find your own voice mm-hmm. uh, to be authentic, be true to yourself, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be brutally honest. Mm-hmm. And I think when people see that, people recognize that in somebody. And I think that they're attracted to that and then therefore attracted to the work, that there mm-hmm. is consistency, there's growth, there's authenticity, there's seriousness, mm-hmm. there's a dedication and I think if you can do all those things, you know, which is never easy, um, it'll pay off. So what's next for you? So I, 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 if you'd asked me that at the end of the week, I could probably answer the question. But I, I'm looking forward to um, this three-month exhibit, solo exhibition at this wonderful uh, art center, which I can't mention at the moment yet until mm. we've out the details. But that's my next goal. It's going to be a larger exhibition. It's going to be in a, in a large space. And, um, and yeah, and I, I continue um, writing and painting. And, uh, you know, I think I have a lot more to, to discover and, and develop. I'm as energized about this as I was when I was 20. Hmm. <laughs> you know, and I'll be 69 in June in case you're wondering. And, but yeah, but it's, it's a... So my heart attack was a blessing in a way because mm. it's a new lease of life, you know. And I, it's it's terrible to think that we, you know, one needs a shock to the system to wake up. And um, I think, you know, in the business world, and my children in the business world, they're very successful. You know, it's, you know, especially the world today, it it drives you at a pace, and it's it's even more uh, challenging now um, because I think in in the world that we're in, there's very little time. Um, for silence because you know the speed of information the speed of media fake news fraud politics um, 
the war in Ukraine, look what's going on in Israel, look what's going on across Europe. I mean, it's not a good look. Mm. None of it's good. And and so I think as a as a as a you know as a survival mechanism as a group, we have to find a way to deal with that. And you know, otherwise you could spend your your life and worry. You know, you yeah. can't do that. Yeah. And that's it. it comes back to nature. And so I'm going to leave you one final poem that I just written, and I, I don't know if it's finished, but it's. It, I just thought about it at this mm. point. I'm just making about silence, and I was out for a walk um, a few weeks ago. And it was bitterly cold, and it was still dark. It was early in the morning, and I live in a very hilly area. Um, I live in Vinings, and um, anyway, I was bracing myself against the wind and the cold. Wondering what the hell am I doing? But I, you know, I need the exercise. And um, this poem, it talks about the wind, but it's really about the silence of feeling and how we find silence. So it's mm-hmm. called The Silence of Feeling. The wind, a slant, it sprang up through a crimson streak between night and day, slapped the sleepy slums of my mind and shook the branches of my heart beating. Color smirked the morning's darting lip to brighten its changeling face, cracked a smile, tilted the unknowing, licked with a sideways sting, tossed brittle words and dry blasts through stiffened limbs, knees and shoulders, buffet, elm bending. Tempestuous gusts arced, swift as a leveret, weaving the boughs of imagination's half-talk, challenging in the threshold, whispering. Fleeting images swirled, drifted in faint, wind-blown murmurs, provoking. As if your last... Grasp feathery gusts of chance, throw caution aloft, listen to wind's own tongue, and hear in the silence of feeling. So we have to find a way to do that in this crazy world that we're in. Well, it's, it's really been an honor, Michael. Thank you so much. No, thanks very much for this opportunity. It's lovely. The location of the upcoming exhibition Michael mentioned has since gone public. So please do yourself a favor, and if you get the chance, check out Wayfinding at Gainesville, Georgia's Quinlan Visual Arts Center from June 15th to August 12th. That's all she wrote, folks. Until next time, Gurumahagwiv Agaslanagwiv Baharja. Mm-hmm.